You're listening to Life Church Podcast with Pastor Bill Carpenter. In 2 Chronicles, chapter 29, verses 20 through 36. This is where Hezekiah restores the temple worship. It says, Then Hezekiah the king rose early and gathered the officials of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom and for the sanctuary and for Judah. And he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they slaughtered the bulls, and the priests received the blood and threw it against the altar. And they slaughtered the rams, and their blood was thrown against the altar. And they slaughtered the lambs, and their blood was thrown against the altar. Then the goats for the sin offering were brought to the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them. And the priests slaughtered them and made a sin offering with their blood on the altar to make atonement for all Israel. For the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering should be made for all Israel. And he stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, harps, and lyres, according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and of Nathan the prophet. For the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. The Levites stood with the instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah commanded that the burnt offering be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offering began, the song of the Lord began also. And the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. The whole assembly worshipped, and the singers sang, and the trumpeters sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. When the offering was finished, the king and all who were present with him bowed themselves and worshipped. And Hezekiah the king and the officials commanded the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and of Asaph the seer. And they sang praises with gladness, and they bowed down and worshipped. Then Hezekiah said, You have now consecrated yourselves to the Lord. Come near, bring sacrifices, and thank offerings to the house of the Lord. And the assembly brought sacrifices and thank offerings, and all who were of a willing heart brought burnt offerings. The number of the burnt offerings that the assembly brought was 70 bulls, 100 rams, and 200 lambs. All these were for a burnt offering to the Lord. And the consecrated offerings were 600 bulls and 3,000 sheep. But the priests were too few and could not flay all the burnt offerings. So until other priests had consecrated themselves, their brothers, the Levites, helped them until the work was finished. For the Levites were more upright in heart than the priests in consecrating themselves. Besides the great number of burnt offerings, there was the fat of the peace offerings, and there were the drink offerings for the burnt offerings. Thus the service of the house of the Lord was restored, and Hezekiah and all the people rejoiced because God had provided for the people, for the thing came about suddenly. This is God's word. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I'm good. A lot's happening uh, in this uh, passage that David just read to you. It's, uh, it's amazing uh, what went into this restoration of the temple and the worship uh, in the day of Hezekiah. Um, let me just uh, reach back into last Sunday for just a moment and, and highlight a couple of things and then pick up today. And I want to just encourage us today uh, in the spirit of worship. Uh, that we be a people who are a people of celebration and a people of worship to God, um, and that we're doing that out of a, a heart that is pure, 
that our motives are right and good as we approach God in worship together. Uh, so let's just review for just a moment. We talked about last Sunday this idea of revival and how it's kind of out there. And people interpret that word in, in a lot of different ways. And uh, we don't always like to use the word revival uh, in, in, our, in our language today. Uh, because it sort of implies that, that there's, there's a, a need of something. That we're in some way lacking. We're in some way deficient. Uh, for some, um, the inference is that, that we're not healthy. Uh, I mean, after all, paramedics don't walk around downtown on a street looking for someone that's really healthy to revive them. You know, um, when, when we talk about reviving something or someone, we think oftentimes of something being close to death. All right? And, and I don't necessarily want to go that far with it uh, at all. I don't think that that is the condition of life church, of course, by any means. Uh, but I think that from time to time, we do get lax. I think from time to time, we, uh, we fall into sort of a mediocre state in terms of our approach to God. We get very comfortable. We get very satisfied in some ways. And so we just stay or we just exist. And for a lot of us, if we're going to be really, really honest, a lot of times our lives are so busy, so packed, so structured, that it's very hard for us to set aside time uh, to just approach God and to spend time before God in His presence and allow Him to refresh us and renew us and restore us the way that spiritually we really need to be restored. Now, oftentimes, I think we're very focused on um, getting our meals and drinking enough water and the kinds of things that keep us going physically so that we can manage our lives that are so full uh, that oftentimes the first place to be neglected is the spiritual man or the spiritual woman. And a lot of times we let that go. And we have good intentions because we're going to catch it up someday, aren't we? We're always, we're always thinking in the back of our mind, oh, you know what, I'm going to start a devotional or I'm going to, I'm going to get more committed. Uh, I remember at one time thinking very much that, I, feeling very impressed actually of God that I need to spend two hours a day in the scriptures. I, there's a season of, of time here where I really feel like God wants me to spend two hours a day in the scriptures. Feeling that, believing that, convinced of that in my heart but not seeing it happen day by day by day in a really diligent manner, manner because I let the cares and, and, the, and the urgent things of my day uh, get in there and push that time away or push that time out. And so I was oftentimes feeling very frustrated, uh, if not defeated, because I wasn't staying with that commitment to the Lord during that window of time that he asked of me. And so I think many times we do that. We, in our heart, we have good intentions, you know. Our, our spirit is willing, but our flesh is weak. And there is so much in life that we have to manage and take care of and deal with and handle that oftentimes it just seems easier to let some things go. And the easiest things to let go are the spiritual disciplines. They just kind of fade out from time to time. And, and, and our heart is always to catch them up, even to make it up. God, I'll make it up to you. Uh, tomorrow I'll do four hours. <laughs> in my heart, I can say that. But if I was being honest in my mind, I would know I can't do that. That's not a possibility. And so we, we have a tendency to make promises to God that really we know deep down we're probably not going to keep. 
And so at the end of it all, we get very condemned. Uh, we shame ourselves. Uh, we do a number on ourselves. And, and, and it's not a good situation. And I don't want to put you in a spot today where you're starting to examine your life in such a, a way that you scrutinize every, every moment or every minute. But I do think we need to look at this and say, hey, where am I spiritually? And that's what we did last week. We really brought ourselves to this place of looking at the reality that probably all of us on some level need spiritual renewal. We need some kind of jump start or quick start, if you will, um, of, of renewal or uh, reviving uh, that really moves us into a deeper relationship than maybe we've been in prior or Maybe we're getting back to a place that we were, but things kind of uh, went south for whatever reason or the other. And we said last week that spiritual renewal really comes through a commitment to the Lord. And we use the life of Hezekiah here as he's entering into his leadership role over uh, the nation. Uh, and as he calls the people back to uh, consecration and dedication and commitment and all these things uh, and there's this act of restoration that is going on not only in the lives of, of the leaders but also in the house of the lord as well and so there's this commitment to god individually and there's this commitment to the house of god and and so in all of that last week as we started to talk about that and as we saw this very sort of dismal spiritual situation in judah uh, under Oh, wicked King Ahaz. Then uh, we saw Hezekiah come under that and start to do this work of restoration. And so the question for us was, you know, if we were put in that position, if we were put in in the place of Hezekiah and we had the responsibility uh, in such a dismal time, what would be our priority? What what would be the thing that we would see as most significant? And we saw that for Hezekiah, it was that I need to make a, a turn. I need to make a, a shift, if you will. And in this very uh, wretched, sort of desperate historical setting that we see Hezekiah in, he does an amazing thing. It says in the first year of his reign, not, not five years after he got some things figured out or he grew up or whatever, matured or whatever, but in the first year of his reign, in the first month, all right. Not even at the end of the first year, but initially at the very beginning, it says he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and he repaired them. They had been closed shut under his father's reign and idolatry had been set up and all of these awful things were going on in, in Judah. But he opens the doors of the temple. He does this work of, of repairing them. In other words, he restored the ability for the people to go into the house of God and to worship their God. And in doing that, he called for the priests and the Levites and he gave them this charge and he says, I want you to consecrate yourselves first and then I want you to consecrate the house of the Lord. And I, I really appreciated the, the commitment that many of you made uh, in, in just coming to the Lord in such a powerful way last Sunday. And, and just the partaking together of communion and the, the powerful sense of, of what that was doing and, and what not only individually but corporately as well. And, and what we see here in this place with Hezekiah is that he did this with an intent. And that intent was to reverse the awful conditions that the people were in and to reverse 
the, the horrible spiritual condition uh, of the nation, all right? And so he shares with them really what is in his heart, and that is that they would all make a covenant with the Lord, that they would, they would actually uh, be diligent to actually make or renew uh, a covenant with God. And hopefully that's what all of you did last Sunday. And if you didn't, don't feel like, well, it's done and I can't go back and do that. You can do it today. You can do it now. You can do it before I finish this sermon, all right? You can in your heart in this moment just say, God, I want to restore some kind of relationship with you. I know it's off. I, I know it's less than what it should be. I know that I've, I've, I've gone backwards rather than forwards. And so even before Pastor Bill is done, I just want to get something right here. I just want to shift myself spiritually here. And so I'm making a commitment to you. I don't even understand all of what that means, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to, I'm going to say it out of, out of the voice of my heart to you right now that I want to be committed. And I, I, I want to try to do the things that I, I can do to be able to follow you in a more committed kind of way. I want to make this covenant with you and there was a word that we didn't use last week that i'd like to bring up now as we're going forward here because i think it's an important word as we look at this passage that pastor dave read to you today and this restoration of worship and celebration among the people and in the temple and that is the word repentance here's what i find happens with many of us as christians is that again our heart is so willing but our flesh is so weak. And, and I think we have to be honest about that reality. And there are a lot of times when the pastor will get up, uh, whether that's David or, or I, or you're in a, a, a conference or a service somewhere else or a prayer meeting or whatever, and there's this impassioned plea to change and, and, and to, to restart or, or to, to sort of ignite your, your passion for God. Um, and this is an ongoing theme that you hear preached all the time. Anywhere you go, you might hear this. And you're sitting there and you go, yes, God, I want to do that. I want a fresh start here today. That's why so many people love the new year or they love September. It's like, okay, we got through the summer. We made it through. Now, let's have a fresh start. Let's have a, let's have a new beginning, all right? And you go back to those calendars and all that stuff, you know, and kind of set things up. But, but here's the reality a lot of times we, we do this kind of stuff and, and we don't stay there. We don't stay in this place of solid uh, commitment to God. We don't stay in the disciplines the way that we need to. And so I want to challenge you and I that, that as we are going forward, we understand that there is a component to commitment. There's a component to consecration that I think sometimes we either misuse or don't use and that is the act of repentance. The act of repentance, which really is what Hezekiah was trying to do. He wanted to reverse this dismal situation. In other words, what Hezekiah is saying, uh, without saying it maybe exactly, is my dad really screwed things up. And he was a horrible king and a horrible leader. And he, he ruined and, and damaged the spiritual climate of this nation. And so he, he had a very negative, destructive impact on the nation. But the reality is that can be turned around. This is the beauty of redemption. This is the beauty of what God is all about. He's all about restoration. He's all about redeeming. And Hezekiah gets it. 
And he says, we got to do something here, and we're going to begin in the house. And I'm going to ask you to consecrate yourselves. I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to God through covenant. And then we're going to restore the house of God. We're going to rebuild it. We're going to repair it. We're going to clean it out. There was all kinds of idols that had been brought in. And and all kinds of things had been happening in the temple to the point that it was actually closed and locked. And now he's saying, no, we're going to open this up. We're going to get in there. We're going to take all this crud out of there. We're going to take all this mess out of there. We're going to restore this temple and make it clean and holy and under defiled and we're going to worship God again and I love that story I love that picture and that imagery because I think there's a lot of times where you and I find ourselves in in a in a in a lull or a period of time where we have to look at ourselves and God opens our heart and shows us how wicked we really are and we have to say you know what I got a lot of crud in here I got a lot of stuff that I've let come in, or I I actually brought it in. It's on me. It's on my shoulders. And we take full responsibility for that, and we got to get that out of there. We got to let God sanctify us, and we got to get the crud out of our lives and the mess and the stuff. We know it's got to go because it's keeping us back, holding us back from a dynamic relationship with God. And so we go through this process of of cleansing, if you will, understanding that we are being charged the same way that Hezekiah charged the people. And so we have to say, okay, God, I don't want to be negligent now because the Lord, you have chosen me. All right, just like Hezekiah told the priests and the Levites, don't be negligent about this. Do it now because you've been chosen by God to minister to him. And so here's the thing, guys. I think this is, this is a real key for us today. I, I, I'm kind of proposing, I'm kind of saying that Hezekiah's example shows us that, that really the, the most pressing need of our lives is to constantly be somehow renewing our commitment to God. That we are diligent, that we are vigilant, if you will. What's the first thing that goes a lot of times? It is our relationship with the Lord. We let it go. Okay, I, I, I know I need to pray, but I'm so tired. I'm j- I just got to go to bed. I, just, I, I was going to do it this morning, and the day got away from me, and now I'm just exhausted. And so I'm not, I, I'm, I'll do it in the morning, God. I'll, I'll, I'll be extra alert in the morning. I'll wake up. I'll give you a little more time tomorrow. And we, we see, we do these kinds of things, and it's so easy to fall back into ruts and into places where we're not as diligent, we're not as vigilant as we need to be. And, and I'm arguing that Hezekiah's example shows us that we've got to be pressing in. We've got to, we've got, this, this is the most pressing need of all. What is the most important to, thing to do when, when we are lagging spiritually? Or we need renewal, or we need revival, or even our nation needs it. And there isn't a nation that needs it anymore. When we talk about the condition of Israel and we look at America, we can see all kinds of parallels here that are going on. And this nation needs revival. And it needs renewal. But where is it going to start? It's going to start in the church. The churches have to be renewed. The churches have to be revived. But how does that happen? It's you and I. And, and, and the desire has to be in us somehow. And I'm not saying that you can create that desire and... Please understand, I am not trying to 
to make something happen here or, or make up something here and, and, and cause us to do things that's going to look like we're extremely passionate or, or overtly spiritual in some way. I'm not talking about a canned thing here. I'm not talking about us just creating something that, that looks good on the outside. No, I'm, I'm realizing and I'm saying to you today, something has to happen. Hezekiah got something, but it didn't come from Hezekiah. It came from God. And God spoke to Hezekiah, and God led Hezekiah into this place of trying to reverse this spiritual condition. And he did it. He did it. But it was God that did it. And thus, God gets the glory, as we see in, in the end of this passage that David read. All right? And so that's, that's where I'm taking you, is to this place that Life Church realizes that we have a role and a responsibility in this neighborhood and in this city and even beyond that we begin to realize the vast greatness of God and how He might use us. And we can become extraordinary vessels of honor for the living God if we will cleanse ourselves and we will sanctify ourselves with God's help and grace and be able to, to make the kind of commitment that He is asking, even demanding of us from Scripture. And that we follow Him in that commitment. Because here's what happens when we do that, all right? Our, all, all of our priorities get back in line, all right? And, and, and God often deals with us, doesn't he, uh, with, with the problems that we are encountering or that we are going through or that we are wrestling with in ways that we never expected or, or we wouldn't have thought of. How many times have you prayed and said, God, I, I need your help in this area? And God does something totally different than what you thought or you would have liked, are you planned for him to do? Isn't it amazing how often we have an issue or a crisis and then we have a plan? And our prayer is, is driven by our plan. That is not surrender. That is not yielding to the sovereignty of God. That is saying, God, I created a plan and I know it will work. Now I want you to come along beside me and do my plan. There is nothing about your will be done in that kind of dynamic. All right? It's time for you and I to say, okay, God, I'm thinking all kinds of things, and I'm committing my plans to you, but at the end of the day, it's, it's in your hands. It, it has to be your way. And it's amazing to me that as, as we read this passage, the restoration of the temple and all of the sacrifices that were required and all that came about. And it was the reality to, in, 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 in Hezekiah's situation that he didn't have enough manpower to even do this. There weren't enough priests who had cleansed themselves uh, to be able to offer these sacrifices. And so he had to call others in to do this. And it, it still wasn't enough. But yet, he was not dismayed. He was not discouraged. He didn't give up. He didn't say, okay, well, there you see, we can't do it. So must must not be God. This man went on the authority of the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says must happen in the temple for worship. And so we are going to do that. And he attempted to do something that in his own strength and ability and with the, the, the help of others could not accomplish. And yet it was done. 
it happen. And so I'm saying to you and I that as we make this transition from this property over to 501 North Elmwood, that we not look at that transition as something where, oh, well, we can't do this and we can't do that and this isn't going to be the case and that isn't going to be the case. And so we settle for something less than what God has for us. But rather, we make that transition as a people of great faith believing that we have a God that is bigger than we are and bigger than our vision and more capable than anything we could have ever hoped or asked or dreamed of. And that His intent is to bless His people when we consecrate ourselves and commit ourselves to Him and follow in obedience what He has for us to do. And so if there's one thing I want you to leave behind here, it is unbelief and doubt. Another is fear of the future. And for some of you, there's a lost hope in your heart. And I pray to God that you can lay it down here and never carry it with you. But rather that you walk out of this place with an unbelievable understanding that God was big right here. God was so good right here. Look what God has done. And that we are not going to a new place with fear and trepidation, with doubt and unbelief, with sin and unholiness, disobedience, those kinds of things. But that we are walking out of here with this awe of the living God this sense of celebration. This amazing release to just enjoy the abundance and the goodness of God and what He has ahead of us. So I'm saying don't look back. This was a great place. This was a great time. So over the next few Sundays, can we celebrate the really great things of God here. Can we begin to remember the goodness of God? Can we recall those moments that are particular to any one of us and say, yeah, I remember when God met me there. I remember when I stepped in the altar and I felt the presence of God. I remember I accepted Christ in that building. I want you to drive by here and whatever other church might be in here someday, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, you might drive by here. Maybe you've gone on to to live somewhere else. You got your college education and and, and you, you entered your profession. And, and you're out on the East Coast somewhere, but you come back home for a holiday or for a visit, and you go, you know what, I just want to drive by that building. And you just drive by, and what you see in your mind and your heart is the goodness of God. And that moment trips something inside of you, and joy unspeakable and full of glory rises up inside of you, and you begin to celebrate in your heart the good things of God, and it evokes worship. Because God is good. So we're not leaving here because we're trying to get away from something. We're not leaving here because this isn't good enough. We're leaving here because God is directing us. 
And he's ordering our steps and he's moving us to a new location where we can be even more effective for the kingdom. But that requires you and I to prepare our hearts and position ourselves so that we can not only be consecrated and committed, but we can celebrate the greatness of God where we are. And so I challenge us that over these next few Sundays, we begin reminiscing. We begin talking about the really good things of God. You go, yeah, but I remember. Don't remember, all right? Don't go back to those places where it wasn't good. If there was something that happened and, and it, it hurt you or it harmed you or it wounded you, and it was while we were in this building. Yeah, well, in that building, that, my marriage fell apart. In that building, uh, I was sick, and, and, and we got in financial crisis. In that building, uh, someone hurt my feelings. Someone spoke awful things to me. In that, in that building, this happened. In that building, that happened. Don't visit those places, all right? We don't worship in that place very well. But let's begin to think on the things that are good and right and noble and praiseworthy and thoughtworthy. Let's stay in that place where God would want us to be, that our eyes are open to His goodness and His greatness. And let's stay right there and let's begin to worship our God the way that He would have us to. See, I know things are tough around us and I know this world is crazy right now. Someone was talking to me this morning. I'm, I'm leaving, by the way, Tuesday, and I'm going to go run a marathon in Berlin, Germany. And people were asking me, well, aren't you really kind of afraid of terrorism and all that kind of stuff? And I said, well, you know, after this weekend, I think it's safer in Berlin than it is in America. Bombs are going off everywhere. People are getting hurt and, and, and injured in all kinds of places. You know, we're, we're in the world, we're not safe. But God is our refuge. God is our, our hope, our present help in a time of need. God is where we find ourselves. And we hold on to that place in God. So I fully expect to see you next Tuesday. I fully expect to come back here and, and find this church vibrant and, and flourishing and functioning. And I fully expect to be full of God when I come back in a week. Why? Because... I'm committed to consecrating myself. I'm committed to, to dedicating myself to God fully, more, more than ever before, because I want to lead you in this transition. I, I, I know you all are going to think I'm crazy. But I was sitting, you know, I mean, I'm thinking about this sermon, and I'm thinking about talking to you about all this stuff, and I got this picture. And don't get scared, okay? I got this picture of like, all of us just walking out of this building and literally like parading over to the other building and just celebrating. And I know that's crazy, but we could do it. We're in the neighborhood. We're bringing the Spirit of the Lord into the neighborhood. God inhabits the praises of his people. Let's look at some scriptures and begin to think about what God might be able to do if we just got a little bit radical. Okay, you can all drive your cars in a line together, okay? Toot your horn or something. I don't know. But can we have some sense of 
this transition being very significant and, and offering the praise unto God that he deserves and living in that place of celebration and seeing a momentum established and, and have a continuum over time where we see God so big and so good that it changes everything. And that's what happened in the day of Hezekiah. It was a radical commitment to the Word of God. It was, it was an unbelievable spiritual renewal that was centered around this renewal of authority in the Word of God. And we talked about that a little bit last Sunday. And I ask you the question, you know, where have you given away God's authority in your life? What is going on in your life that doesn't uh, line up with the authority of God's Word? Where, where are we living outside the truth of God? And, and we need to let God speak to our hearts about that. Are, are, we, are we doing what God has called us to do? Are we serving in the capacities that God has called us to serve in? Even as a church corporately, what are we doing uh, that, is, that we believe is God's call to us in this neighborhood? And how are we doing that? And constantly looking at that and making sure that as a, as a body that we're not getting comfortable. And here's the thing, you know. The, the, new, the new facility is looking good, all right? Um, not everything is like we wanted it to be, and we're not getting to do everything that we originally said we would want to do over there because the city talks to us about things, and we don't get to talk back to them. They just talk to us, and then we get to do what they tell us, you know? But we're going to be good children, all right? We're going to be obedient, and, and, and we're not going to complain and, and grumble and murmur about it. We're just going to say, okay, and we're going to obey the, the laws and the rules and the ordinances and all that kind of stuff to the best of our ability. And, and we're going to keep going, all right? And, we're, and so the church is looking great over there. It's looking wonderful. But, hey, we're not creating a church for you and I to go over and get comfortable in and say, oh, finally, I'm in a real church. <laughs> now we got a building. Now we can, oh, we can relax. We can breathe. No. I'm expecting God to shake us up. I'm expecting God to show up. I'm expecting God to say some things that are going to be a bit uncomfortable. I'm expecting God to look at us and challenge us to become the church that he intends us to be. We're going into a multi-ethnic neighborhood. We're going into a, a larger neighborhood than we're in now. We're being given more area to canvas and to, and to witness in and all of that. And what would God ask of us in doing that? What is God going to ask of us to be more ethnically diverse and more culturally sensitive? What kind of things is God going to expect of us? Even in our worship, I'm advocating an, an amazing uh, move of worship in us and celebration. What is that going to look like if we're going to open our arms to, to a multicultural neighborhood? It might require you and I to shift some things around. So I, I'm saying let's worship as never before. Let's enjoy God as never before. Let's be more positive than we've ever been about the kingdom of God and about life church and about our relationships with one another and, and getting in life groups and all those kinds of things. But let's do that understanding that it's not that we're celebrating that we finally arrived, that we finally got somewhere or we finally got what we wanted. No, it's celebrating that God is way bigger than we are and we don't even understand the vastness of what He has for us as we go forward. 
And when I say things like that and use phrases like that, I'm not talking about how God is going to bless you and give you what you want. I'm talking about the vastness and the greatness of God and what he has for us in that we are on mission and we have been given a mission field and God has called us to be his missionaries, those who are the ones who reconcile. And that is the ministry that we've been given, the ministry of And so where we are going is a place we've never been before. And it's not about an address. And it's not about a building. But it's about you and I being prepared for the things that God has in front of us. And here's the thing. These verses that I asked Pastor Dave to read to you today, especially beginning about verse 25 to the end, they are really centering on this idea of celebration. And here's what I think. Did you, did you catch all the burnt, the burnt offerings that, that they're, I mean, the reality there or the, the, the intent there is consecration? The burnt offering was offered totally to the Lord. The worshiper didn't eat any of it or partake of any of it. And it just represents the surrender and the holiness demanded of those who receive God's forgiveness. And then there were the thank offerings, uh, which are representative of devotion. They were voluntary offerings, but they expressed love and gratitude for God's blessings and God's care and God's keeping of of the people. And then there were the burnt offerings and the thank offerings. But then there's these are the things that that sort of like move us, you know, they like like they they shift us into this sense of celebration. But here's the point. We can't experience spiritual renewal, whether that's individually or whether that's corporately, unless we appropriate God's cleansing through the blood of Jesus Christ. And that's where we begin. Confessing our sins, cleansing out anything that's offensive or idolatrous or crude in our lives. Cleansing our temple just as Hezekiah cleansed the temple. Do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? So this is where it comes down and gets right down to each of us. These people came together and something dynamic happened. They they cleansed themselves and they cleansed the temple and they offered the necessary sacrifices you know that the Bible says that you are to present your body as a living sacrifice, which is your reasonable act of worship? See, I think sometimes we miss something on Sunday mornings, and, and understandably so, but we come in here and we're expecting immediately for Charity or Nathan to get up there and just lead us in some wonderful worship. And we're, re- we're ready to go. You know, I'm ready to worship. But I wonder how many times do we come in with something in us and on us that separates us from God. And that may be an attitude, that may be an action, uh, you know, it may be an an overt sin, it may be a covert sin. It may may just be attitude, it may just be some unbelief, it may be be a, 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 a splinter in a relationship that happened the night before or that morning with a spouse or with a a son or a daughter or, or a mom or a dad or whatever. It may just be something that's in your own heart that just all of a sudden it just, it's, there it is and you see it. 
but you don't take it captive and you entertain it and you feed it or whatever. But we bring stuff in and we go right into worship without having dealt with that. And I think that's, that's a dangerous thing for us to get comfortable with coming to God unclean. He says, come boldly to the throne room. But we come boldly because we're forgiven. We come boldly because of the resurrection and what God has done for us. You say, but pastor, I'm saved. I, I understand that. But there are things that can hinder us from appropriately worshiping God. And there are things that can separate us from the presence of God, even as Christians. There are things that can hold us back and things that can paralyze us. These people dedicated themselves and they made the, the necessary sacrifices, the, the, the burnt offering and the thank offering and, and, and all of these kinds of things. And then they came and they began to worship. And it says that in verse 30 that they sang praises with joy. Their hearts were in it. Let me ask you a, a pointed question. How many times on a Sunday morning do you come in here and your heart is filled with joy. I mean, like, you're really joyful. How many times do we come in here and we have let a care in this world rob us of the very joy that was intended for God? And we're, we're carrying things, and we're heavy, and we're dismayed, or we're, we're just sad, or we're just tired. I know this sounds right now like I'm stepping on a bandwagon of some sort or a platform or this is just Pastor Bill's personal agenda. It is. I'll admit it, okay? Because I'm guilty. I've seen it happen. I've, I, I'm constantly trying to overcome it myself. But how many times do we stay up late at night just to feed our senses and feel rotten on Sunday morning when we come into church? And we're too tired and too exhausted to worship God. And please understand, I'm not advocating that you have to be a certain personality style. I'm not advocating that you have to jump up and down or you have to dance like Jeannie does or, or you have, have to say amen and hallelujah like I do or, or things like that. I, I'm saying just be you, but be you full of joy and able to worship the Lord. All right? We all got nasty stuff in our lives and we all got challenges in life. All right? This is why life groups are important. They help you walk together. They help you be in community and encourage one another. And there you realize that, oh my goodness, I'm not the only one. There are other people that have crud. There are other people that are struggling with sin. There are other people that are dealing with issues. There are other people that have financial woes. There are other people that don't feel like they're loved. There are other people that are struggling with shame and guilt and all these kinds of things. There's other people. There's other people. And they're in the church and they're Christians. Oh, my goodness. I'm not the only one. I'm not weird. I'm not strange. I'm not defective. I'm just human. But I'm a human that God has created to sanctify and fill with His Spirit so that I may worship Him in spirit and in truth and follow Him. And I believe that you and I can have a good level of joy that is constant. And I don't believe that we have to be kicked down by the enemy all the time. I believe there's a place for us to be able to find grace enough and sufficiency in Christ to be able to walk in here and stand up and praise God and say, you know what? God is bigger than I am 
And he's good and he's faithful and he's eternal and he's everlasting. And look what he's done. Folks, sometimes we come in the church much less in, at our jobs or wherever. I understand on the job it might be tough. Out on the street it might be tough. Amongst family it's really tough. But when we're coming into the house of God, some of us don't even look like we're saved. And that's got nothing to do with our hair or our dress or whatever. It's all with the attitude in which we approach worship. And Hezekiah did what was necessary to bring the people together. And they sang praises with joy. And I think that joy needs to be a mark of a believer. He invited the consecrated people in verse 31. He said, come near, bring your offerings, bring them to the house of the Lord. And this expression that he uses in verse 31 is used in the book of Hebrews when we're invited to draw near through the blood of Christ as we assemble together. It's it's Hebrews chapter 10. I think it begins about verse 19 or so. And there's several verses there that talk about that. It'd be great for you to read those, all right? Listen, David and I do not create an experience here for you that is outside of God. Our intent is that God comes into this and we try to come along beside God in what we are bringing to you here. So, so folks, we don't gather here on Sundays to run through an entertaining program. If you are looking for entertainment, you got the wrong two guys, okay? We both can dance. We just don't dance with anybody. I've danced in here. I've come back here by myself and turned on the the music and turned off the lights and just tried to dance before the Lord. I can do it. You're never going to see it. Now watch. Someday God's going to say, Bill, I want you to dance in front of the congregation and I'm going to be put on the spot just because I said I'll never do it. All right? I remember, uh, maybe some of you know Jack Hayford. He's He's an older distinguished teacher, scholar, uh, very prominent in the, in the early charismatic renewal, and, uh, but a very professional man and a very reserved man. And uh, he, uh, he said at one point in his ministry, after he had gotten to be quite a, a, a prolific writer and speaker, um, that he didn't realize it, but he had gotten some pride in his heart, and God was dealing with him. And uh, he tells the story of going to a, a place and, and watching uh, some people of another culture, another ethnicity, uh, dance. And, and he, he sort of was a bit smirky and snarky about the whole thing. And, you know, it's like, oh, look at that. They're, you know, they're dancing, you know, whatever. And he said that God dropped it in his heart and said, would you dance before me? Am I, am I good enough that you would lay down your distinguished sort of aura and you would be willing to dance for me like King David danced for me when the Ark of the Covenant was brought into the city. And this very distinguished man said, I had to, didn't have to, but I chose it. I stood up and I said, I just, just kind of did. I was at a conference, a Billy Graham conference when he shared this. I just did this little, he said it was so awesome. I just did this little, I would call it a white boy dance. 
you know, just this little thing. But he said that something happened in him. I'm not advocating that you have to stand up and dance. But what do you need to do to demonstrate an unbelievable worship to the living God? The God who has saved you and redeemed you, who has set you free, has put your feet on solid ground, has given you the ability to think clearly enough about life that you can be convicted of sin and that you can grow and has filled you with His Holy Spirit and empowered you to be able to serve Him and love Him and bless Him all the days of your life. I want an unbelievable spirit of worship in life, church. That is my desire. That is my heart. That is what I'm praying for. And for some of that you, that may mean that you have to get in touch with your personality a little more. But you know what? If you're one of those people who just sits quietly, that's perfectly all right, too. We're not asking you to change your personality. We're asking you to have a spirit of worship. We're asking you to respect one another and have a level of reverence in life church when you worship, okay? But reverence isn't about style. Reverence is about the revelation of the awesomeness of God. We reverence a holy God because he's so great and for what he's done. And how you express that is in you and in your personality style. And we want to enjoy that about one another and and celebrate that with one another and with the people who are coming in that are different than we are. And so worship becomes this, this myriad of expressions of people who love God together and prove that, you know what? God is faithful, and we're going to do this in heaven someday, all of us together, all the time. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Let's consecrate ourselves, commit ourselves, be renewed and revived, that we may celebrate and worship our God together. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nikki, please, would you come and share the gospel and close us out here today? Um, in the scriptures, we were reading the temple was the place where the people would go to meet God, um, where God chose to dwell. Through sacrifice, prayer, and worship, the people aligned their lives with God's intent for them um, in the temple. However, a few chapters later, uh, in Second Chronicles, there were idols in the temple again. And by the end of the book, the temple had been destroyed. Um, God knew that his people needed a greater king a greater high priest, a greater sacrifice. Um, In Jesus, God came to meet humankind. Jesus lived the faithful life that the people of Israel could not. He called the sinner, the weary, um, the outcast. He died as the once-for-all sacrifice for sin, and he rose again. He is the place where we meet God. He is the one who brings us back into relationship with the Father. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to be the very presence of God among his people to help us live obedient and holy lives that God is calling us to and helps restore not only individuals and nations but the whole of creation. We can only live as consecrated people of of God through trusting in Jesus and submitting to his Holy Spirit. Um, If you want to know more about this Jesus who changes lives and who is restoring creation, who calls the weary and the struggling and the outcast. Um, there will be people to pray with you, um, to answer questions. Um, and I'm going to close this out in prayer. 
and uh, when I'm done, just leave quietly so other people can um, have some time. Gracious Father, we thank you for your patience with people who struggle to be faithful. Thank you for coming to meet us in Jesus. Thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to make us holy. Spirit, help us to be faithful. You know we struggle. Help us to live lives of obedience and right worship. And may we continually celebrate Jesus' resurrection as we await his return, as we await the restoration of all things and our own bodily resurrection. Um, We pray for your help. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.